Well, good morning, friends. As Brady said, my name's Wally. I'm part of the pastoral leadership team here at Jericho. And uh, as Brady primed for us, we are going to start a new series focused on our denominational Mennonite Brethren Confession of Faith. And if you were with us last week or if you watched online last week, uh, that was a message that Pastor Brad gave us was, in essence, a, a, a preface to this series on our... Uh, Our work behind what we are talking about. He reminded us that the purpose of pursuing truth was for the sake of sharing it in a way of peace and love, shalom or wholeness for the other person that we would be engaging with in dialogue and advancing God's kingdom, his, his mission and kingdom in our world in that fashion, in a way that established relationship, in a way that brought wholeness to those around us. And so today we begin to examine uh, the Mennonite Brethren Confession of Faith, which in essence is a, uh, our statement on, of truth. The, this uh, little booklet, which is really the sidewalk version, there's three different versions. There's this uh, condensed one, there's one that has a little bit more, and then there's a really thick one that probably none of you really want. It has a lot of, lot of information and a lot of commentary and stuff. But uh, this is in essence our This We Believe statement. And so if you are part of Jericho Ridge, you're part of the Mennonite Brethren denomination. And these are available, by the way, at, as Brady said, at the Welcome Center. Uh, you can grab one of these on your way out. Encourage you to, to simply read along throughout the next months as we go through the various articles. We're not going to go through them one, to, one two, three, four in, in uh, that order. We're going to jump around a bit uh, according to the themes, but you can follow along. Uh, with us, and you can read all the different uh, 18 articles. This we believe in God. We're going to focus on that today. This we believe about the Holy Spirit. This we believe about creation. This we believe about the sanctity of life or uh, sin and evil, whatever the, the article will be uh, on that given Sunday. And our goal is to have a cohesive and a corporate understanding of what we believe. Now, does that mean we're all going to agree? Uh, on everything at the end, I, I'm quite certain that will not be the case. But we do expect that we as believers uh, in, in, of God would have a comprehensive understanding of what we believe. And that we'd be able to engage in conversation with other people around that. And to do so in a, in a loving way, but to also do so in a way that, quote, shows our work. That we know why we believe what we believe. So today we begin with Article 1 in our confession, which focuses on God as three in one. You may have heard of the terms Trinity, or Triune God, or Godhead, all talking about God. First, you should know that none of those terms are found in the Bible. You can read from Genesis to Revelation, you will not find the word Trinity anywhere in the Scripture. You will not find the word Triune God or Godhead in the Scripture. The, these are doctrinal terms that we use to describe what we believe the Scriptures mean. Which secondly may be why we often don't talk about the Trinity very much, because it seems like such a theological, uh, a little bit of a mysterious word to us. And something that's maybe better left for theologians to muse over and to write long articles about. We agree, yeah, it sounds spiritual, like we may, we've heard that term, it sounds maybe a little mystical. But really, what difference does it make to me 
about all that deep theological stuff as long as I believe in God, whoever that is. Well, friends, the reality is that this truth has life-altering implications. We need to remember, and you're going to hear this several times, we need to remember that knowledge is intended to lead to belief. And belief is intended to lead to action. Knowledge leads to belief, belief to action. Without that sequence of events, knowledge is really just empty facts. And when God is the topic of the knowledge we're seeking, of the wisdom we're seeking, then there are eternal implications. So let's today uh, make an effort to understand and know the triune God, to decide what we believe to be true, and then to make life choices, have actions come to fruition as a result of that. So the opening article, if you pick one of these up, the, par the opening paragraph of the opening article, number one, on God says this. It starts with this sentence and it ends with the following sentence. It says, we believe in the one true living God, creator of heaven and earth. And it ends with, we confess God as eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think the easiest way for us to move from knowledge to belief to action is to start by asking questions. So as Brady said, you're going to have the opportunity to, put, to text in your questions. Uh, so if you need to right now, you can pull out your phone, take a snapshot of that. If you, during the week, want to fire us off some questions, we'll, we'll gather those questions um, along the way. This is not the church phone number, by the way. It's a, it's a different phone number. So um, I guess if you phoned the church and said, I have a burning question, we would write it down and we would accept that. But this would be the, the way to do it. So feel free. And then you can put your screens away until you come to the 2 o'clock workshop on screens and mental health. And we'll talk about how addicted we are to our screens. Anyways, lots of questions are going to come up uh, throughout this series. And so we encourage you to probe into them. I want to start us off with four core questions this morning on these two statements of who God is. The first question that I think we need to ask is, is there only one God? Is there only one God? Or are there lots of gods? Are there, are there lots of different avenues to gods? Spirituality today would say, what you believe is okay for you, what you believe is okay for you, what you believe is okay for you, as long as you think it's going to get you to where you want to get to, which most of us would say be, would be heaven or utopia or something. But is there actually only, like who has the audacity to say there's only one God? Well, our confession says, the Bible says, that there is only one God. We believe that God is one and that he is the only God. And throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures, we're always told that God is one and only true God. So let's look at the Bible. And we're simply today, we are going to scan a number of verses. We're not going to go into a lot of depth in these verses. We're not going to get into the context of these verses. This is going to be a sprint through a bunch of verses because we're looking for particular answers to the particular questions that we're asking. So if you want to uh, explore these verses in more depth during the week, jot them down. Again, take out your phone, take a screenshot if you want, um, or uh, highlight them in your Bibles, whatever the case may be. And remember, as Brady alluded to, we're going to be looking at this from a 30,000-foot level. We're not going to zero in on things. And so um, for each uh, passage that I give you, there's many more passages that would corroborate what we're looking at. 
So, is God one, and is is he the only God? We're going to jump into the book of Romans in the New Testament. We're going to look at chapter 3, verse 29 to 30. should come up on the screen. Paul, the writer, is asking, After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Verse 29. Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? And if you don't know who the Gentiles are, that's probably everybody in this room. Unless you're of Jewish descent, you're a Gentile. It's everybody outside the Jewish nation. So, isn't God... Is he the only the God of the uh, is he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. Verse thirty: There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. So we're answering that question: Is God one? Jumping to Mark chapter twelve, verses twenty-nine to thirty-two, a teacher of religious law is coming. And he's asking Jesus questions. And uh, Jesus starts to speak of the greatest commandments, referring back to actually an Old Testament book called Deuteronomy in chapter 6. Verse 29 of Mark 12, Jesus replies, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your mind, and all your strength. Jumping to 32, the teacher of the religious law said, uh, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying, that there is only one God and no other. So two places of many in Scripture that answer the question, is God one and is he the only one? The Bible says yes. And our confession of faith says yes. So the second question, if the Bible says there is this singular God, one God, can this one God be plural in form? Again, our confession of faith says Yes. So let's look at the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. Probably the most applicable verses to um, answer this question. So we're talking about God creating. God's created the earth. He says in verse 26 of chapter 1 of Genesis, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image. Let us make them like to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image he created them, male and female, he created them. Notice in verse 26 that God's self-identification is in the plural. Our image. Us. But then also notice in the next verse, the writer's uh, seamless interface between the plural that God is stating and the singular. He's saying... God, not God's. So God created human beings, not God's created. So it's plural and singular interfacing together. Another example is in, also in Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 15. This is the story where God reveals himself, uh, appears before Abraham and Sarah, who's actually hiding in the tent, but Abraham, and to tell him, hey, you and Sarah, even though you're like well into your old age, you are going to conceive, you are going to conceive a child and give birth to that child. And that child's going to have a significant part in the lineage and in the nation of Israel. So verse 1, it says, the Lord, singular, appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove uh, belonging to Mamre. Abraham looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. I won't read all the rest of the verses, but through the rest of the verses to verse 15, in the whole rest of that conversation, those three men are referred to as the Lord. And so God, as one, the Lord, reveals himself in three forms before Abraham. 
one God presented in three separate forms. So we answered that second question. Can a singular God be plural? And scripture says yes. Is there some mystery there? Absolutely there's mystery there. Are the things that we're going to talk about in the articles moving through 1 to 18, are they going to take faith to, to uh, believe in? Absolutely it's going to take faith. But at the same time, we're also looking for evidence, and we're finding that evidence. So the third question, if the one God is actually one plural God existing in three forms or three persons, then who makes up the plurality of God? Who gets to be included in the three forms? The biblical answer is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which is where we get that term Trinity or Triune or Godhead, three persons in one. So let's look at Matthew 3, 16 and 17, and then Matthew chapter 28. And these verses bookend Jesus' earthly ministry. They uh, start with his baptism, they end uh, with his commissioning after his death and resurrection. And they identify God as three in one. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. After his baptism, Jesus, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven, that's God the Father, said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. So we have God in three persons launching the ministry of reconciliation of, of humanity to himself for the world. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, the end of his earthly ministry, he's about to ascend back into heaven, to the throne room, uh, to be with the, uh, the Father on the right-hand side of the Father. He says this to his disciples in verse 18, chapter 28. I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, the divine mission of God was activated by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And then it's continued, Jesus says, giving it to his disciples to continue to go out into the world in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So those Son, less holy because he took a human form. The spirit, who we kind of don't talk about as much sometimes, is that even less holy? Are they all equally God? Again, in our confession, based on the scriptures, we say that we believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equally God. Let's look at some verses that talk about this. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, 17, speaks to the uh, Father as God. Peter writes, For we're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. So Peter's identifying God the Father. The Father is equally one of the Godhead. Then in Hebrews chapter 1, God says this 
about God the Son. He's comparing God the Son to angels in this, uh, in this conversation, who are not God, by the way. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my son, he said. Today I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him. Worship him. And it almost sounds in that first couple sentence that God the Father, because we think of this in our systems here, our, our, the way we do family, that God the Father is higher than God the Son, right? Fathers in our family systems have more authority. They take a higher role. The son or the children. Lord, which is referring back to that Genesis 1 passage that we looked at. In the beginning, you, Lord God, you laid the foundation of the earth and you made the heavens with your hands. And so here we have the Son being called God by God. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit equally God? For that, we turn to Acts chapter 5. Verses 1 to 4. We have a story here of the early disciples. They're starting to formulate the church. They're, they're fulfilling that mission that Jesus empowered them with to go out and make disciples. that it was all the money. So they sold their, their piece of property for a million dollars and they're bringing $750,000 and saying, hey guys, we want to donate it. We're super generous. This is everything we got. Oh, you kept a little bit back here, but we're not going to say anything about that. So Peter says, verse 3, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. You could have done whatever you wanted. After selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but you were lying to God. You lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God. Holy Spirit is equated with God. John 16, verses 12 to 15, link together all three of the persons of God equally. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will bring me, Jesus, glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So God the Son is going to give to God the Holy Spirit. All that belongs to the Father, he gives to me, and it's mine. That's why I said the Spirit will tell you everything that he receives from me. So the Spirit is empowered to give to us. The Spirit receives from the Son. The Son receives from the Father. All the things of God belong equally to each person. And so we have Father, Son, and Spirit equally God. Friends, the Bible consistently shows that Father, Son, and Spirit are equal in nature. 
while maintaining their distinct personhoods, their distinct roles in how they relate to us. One God working in creation, working in humanity with one intent, one mission, one purpose for creation. And you can work through your Bible. If you read from cover to cover, you can work through your Bible with a simplistic model. You can start in Genesis, and as we looked at Genesis 1 especially, uh, you can see God the Father, Son, and Spirit all engaged right from the beginning. They're all there creating. And then as you move through the Old Testament, Old Testament, it primarily focuses on God the Father, who is pursuing. Uh, he's revealed. He's there. He's correcting. Remember, sin has entered into the picture in Genesis. Humanity falls. They're separated from God. And then God the Father is there to correct and to discipline and consistently call them back. Would you repent and come back? And so focus on God the Father. Then you come to the New Testament in the Gospels. You start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you've got God the Son as the primary revelation of God. He's there to redeem, to save humanity. After the Gospels, you get the book of Acts and the Epistles, which focus primarily on the work of the Holy Spirit, establishing the church, working in the disciples' lives, in the Christians' lives, to, um, to make them more and more into the image of God. And then lastly, you've got the book of Revelation, where again you find Father, Son, and Spirit all again revealed, giving a revelation of what eternity is going to be like in their presence. So to subordinate or to omit any one of them, any one of the triune God, is to misrepresent the scriptures, is to misrepresent the truth of who God is in his fullness. The Bible is clear and consistent, friends. One God existing in three forms or three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, and these three together are creating, calling, redeeming, restoring creation for their, for their glory. Not three gods, but one triune God. And again, we state that in our Confession of Faith in the first article. I encourage you to pick one up and read it. Okay, that was the sprint. Take a deep breath. That's the knowledge. Let it sink in. We have facts about a one triune God. Remember what I said at the onset. Knowledge is intended to turn to belief and belief to action. So what do we do with this knowledge of God? What are we willing to believe to be true about God? Do I believe to the point that I'm going to orient my life around what I know to be true about God? If so, then this is where salvation and discipleship begin to emerge within me. So track with me a little bit. I mentioned earlier in Genesis, God creates everything we see and know. And then the humans, Adam and Eve, sin, and they separate themselves from God. So in the Old Testament, God the Father, he disciplines, he corrects, he's trying to reorient them back to his intended uh, created order for them, the way it was in the garden, the way he wanted it to be for eternity. And he repeatedly calls him to come back. And so in the Gospels, he finally goes to the extreme act of sending God the Son to go to earth in human form and to become the sacrifice that will make a way, the only way of salvation. And then for all who accept Jesus as Savior, then God the Holy Spirit is sent to guide and empower for a new way of life. And then in Revelation, we get that picture, that beautiful 
beautiful, powerful image of what it's going to be like for those who've accepted God and spend eternity with God the Father, Son, and Spirit. If this is the truth crossroad that you find yourself at, if you're at the place of wondering, contemplating, wrestling with, what do I do with knowledge? Do I make it my belief? Then I want to invite you. Cross that threshold. Cross that threshold and take the knowledge and make it your personal belief. Believe in one God as your God. Not some God out there, but your God. Turn it into a personal belief. Thank him for creating you. Thank him for establishing over the generations the way of salvation through God the Son. Thank him for offering you the Holy Spirit to help you along the process. Ask Jesus to be your Savior. Ask God the Son to come. Be my Savior. Why do I get emotional? Because, friends, knowledge is useless. You are wasting your time here this morning if you just came to find out that, oh, God exists. That, oh, God is one and he's the only way. You're wasting your time. Believe. Turn that knowledge into something that changes your life. Personal belief. Welcome him to be the God of your life. In fact, I want to pause. I want to pray with you. This is an opportunity for you to change your life, to go from knowledge to personal belief. If you're at that crossroads, let's pray together. Father God, Father Son, Father Holy, uh, God, Holy Spirit, we come before you. We come before your holiness, your presence, O oh Lord, and we bow in humility of spirit. We bow before you and say thank you for revealing your love for us, creating us in your image. And even when we walk away in our own sin, Jesus, God the Son, you offer us salvation. You offer us forgiveness. Oh, forgive us. And invite the Holy Spirit to come and to dwell in you. Come, Holy Spirit. Gift us with repentant hearts. Gift us with hearts that would turn from self and the world to you, O oh God. We pray these things in the powerful name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. With that conversation, friends, with that prayer, you take the knowledge of God and you turn it into your personal belief and you become a follower, a disciple of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call it becoming a Christian. Welcome. Welcome into the kingdom of God. Welcome into the family of God. Your knowledge has turned into your belief. And now your belief needs to turn into action. Remember that when God the Son left the earth 
and return to the throne in heaven. He sent God the Holy Spirit to fill us and guide us in this new life. He didn't just say, okay, guys, you've, you've done the, the work of salvation. Now, being a disciple, well, you just figured that out on your own. You know, I walked around here for 30-some-odd years, you know, and, and you're going to write about it, and then you guys just figured it out. No, he actually sends his Spirit to dwell within us, to guide us to take up residence in us and activate this new life. And this is what we call discipleship, being a disciple. You're filled with the Holy Spirit when you accept Jesus Christ. That has happened. If you prayed that prayer uh, just now or at any time in your life, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's primary role is to counsel you, to lead you into truth, to empower you to live the way that the Scriptures describe it in following Jesus' example. So I need to make choices now as a disciple to actually listen to the Spirit. I need to make choices to have conversation daily and say, what are you doing in my life? What are you changing within me? How do you want me to act and live my faith today? And so I do that by simply being in daily conversation with him. I read the Word. The Word is one of the revelations of God. He speaks to me in the Word. I do that through prayer. Prayer is simply having a conversation. It's talking. It's then listening. Yes, you can pause and you can quiet your spirit and listen to what the Holy Spirit speaks to you. He will do that. And then you act on that. Receiving, implementing the power and the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives in my life in a way that reflects Jesus in a way that honors uh, the Father, in a way that worships God, three in one. It's the knowledge of the triune God being turned into personal belief and being activated in our lives. We call this salvation and discipleship. We're going to talk about them more. There are separate articles for those. We'll get into more details of them in the future weeks and separate articles. But it's God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who created you. It's God the Father loving you and pursuing you. It's God the Son saying, I will provide a way to the Father for you through my death and resurrection. It's God the Spirit saying, when you accept Jesus, when you accept the Son, I will come and dwell in you and I will empower you to live a Spirit-led life, to live as a Christian. And then one day, as the book of Revelation says, you will dwell with me, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit forever. Let me read Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. It says, God sent his son. God sent him to buy freedom for us so that, we could, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave to sin but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir for eternity. Friends, the knowledge of who God is becomes our personal belief. And our beliefs need to turn into actionable choices, daily actions. So if you know God exists, will you believe, will you accept his love for you? Will you accept his forgiveness and grace in your life? And then will you orient yourselves 
Will you orient your day-to-day decisions, your your day-to-day actions around him as the Holy Spirit empowers you to do that? I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We always end our services with a time to respond. This is the time to respond. This is the time. The one true God is before us. How are you going to respond to him? Do you need to believe or act on the love of God the Father in your life? Do you need to believe in or act on the forgiveness and the grace of the God the Son who died for you, who rose again, conquering sin and death for your sake? Do you need to believe in or act on the work of God the Spirit in your life? Are there things that are not honoring God? Are there things that are not that are keeping you from following according to the ways that Jesus modeled for us. Friends, now is the time to respond. Now is the time to have that conversation with your God. And we're going to be here to help you do that if you want. Our prayer team's going to be at the back. Today it's going to be Constance and Brady, who you saw up here earlier, and myself will be at the back, and we would love to help you. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to hear where you're at. We'd love to hear how you're processing the knowledge, turning it into belief, how you're taking your belief and you're making it, wanting to make it into actionable life choices. So I'm going to invite you now to stand. Let's stand together. Let's join Ron and the team in response, be that in singing, in prayer. Again, the prayer team will be at the back. Please come and talk with us, join us. Let's respond to God together.